Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. My name is Scott Berry and as always, my co-host, counterpart, and extraordinaire, Josh Wenner. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great to be here for this topic, powerful topic. So sometimes me and Josh like to pull on current episodes of what's going on with our life, uh, certain things that become uh, top of mind and of topic of late for us and there's something that we would like to share on this episode's podcast i did actually have a different topic but uh, recently some life circumstances came up for me and unfortunately i had my father transition from this world about six weeks ago and it's been very top of mind for me um, for a few different reasons that we'll get into, but I thought I would bring it to the podcast and maybe share my experience, what I'm going through, um, in case anybody out there might find any of this uh, information uh, valuable or interesting, or if, even if anybody even has any feedback for what I'm going through, I've been really reaching out to uh, community and support. But just to give you a brief synopsis of my process right now, my father, who I've had an amazing relationship, and we've touched on him and family and father figures before on this podcast and just how important that relationship was for me. And not only did I lose a father, but I also lost a really good friend, a friend who was constantly part of my life and my experience. We would talk, you know, sometimes two, three times a week. And when I was traveling, he was usually one of the people who I would always check in with when I was out of the country. Uh, we would help each other quite a bit. Um, my dad's love language was acts of service, and so was mine. And so we helped each other a lot. I was kind of his, his technical go-to guy, and he would help me with finances and, and help with my property rentals and whatnot. But what was challenging for me was my dad died of a cardiac arrest and he had been fairly healthy and there was no preparation for the death process for me and he was 73 when he crossed over and knowing that he was in his 70s there was always this uh known possibility that he could cross over at any time. So we really try to make it a point to go on trips and, and, and tell each other we love each other. Um, but because his health hadn't been declining and he had been in such 
good shape, good spirits. Um, there wasn't any preparation for it. So I thought I'd you know, kind of bring to the podcast about kind of what I'm going through and um, you know the logistics of not only the uh, memorial process, but the estate process and everything else, because a lot of that has just been um, quite an eye-opener for me, and I have learned quite a bit in the process. And um, Josh has been uh, really one of my, my saving graces through this whole process. And, you know, as we've talked before many times on the podcast and, you know, Josh has been such a component for helping people with uh, transition, death, grief, and bringing all of that uh, love into existence, I thought it would be a a, a really good conversation. So I think I'll just, um, just kind of briefly start off with, you know, where I'm at right now. So he, he passed away and it was completely unexpected. And, um, it was it was really hard for the first few days. I could I could barely breathe. I I felt immobile. Um, I was sick, and I immediately went down to see my mom, and go to help with that process because my dad was such a such a giver in his acts of service. He he really liked to do a lot of things for the family. And so I know there was a lot of things that, that needed help for my mom. And so, you know, part of my process was how do I how do I still get stuff that needs to be done, like dealing with coroner's offices and getting death certificates and talking to estate lawyers and still um, allowing myself to to grieve. And I think that's I think that's been one of the one of my biggest um, uh, lessons through this whole pr- process was um, allowing myself to feel into the pain, allowing myself to be okay with um, you know maybe not being productive, or be okay with just crying, or be okay with uh, not answering people's calls that wanted to console me or the opposite to actually reach out and allow people to be there for me because part of my process a lot of times when I go through emotional uh, circumstances in my life that is to almost pull back pull away go into my cave and just let myself heal let myself process Um, and then sometimes that's you know numbing and distracting myself with you know with work or or other things so I'm, I'm i'm curious in this process what did you find you know it's so tragic going through losing anyone especially when we're really really close and we love fully curious you know after after finding out about it you know the things that were helpful things that weren't you know like as you're going through it just so that anybody that's listening and what i found is that until we go through it we don't really re- it's hard to relate so those that are listening that haven't been through losing somebody close to us, uh, you know, what was helpful with people reaching out or just so we can kind of start to go through your steps, you know, like it happens. Yeah. You're going through trying to piece it together and then some things are helpful. Some things aren't like what, what was your experience during that? And what was your experience of friends, family, loved ones, things that helped, things that didn't, what were you, what you were maybe needing um, and people were afraid of, or people were, you know, reached out and, and really kind of eased your pain. So just kind of, I think that might be helpful. Just kind of taking a pause for a moment and sharing that step of, of where you were at. And as you went through it, uh, what was helpful during that step? 
Yeah. Thank you. That's actually an excellent question. And that was actually something that was very surprising for me. Um, one, I was just overwhelmed by the amount of compassion that was thrown my way and the, the response that I got of people really wanting to be there for me. And what was really interesting is uh, through this process and even my, my dad's memorial, uh, I had people that I hadn't spoken with in years. I mean, we're talking 20 years uh, that I was good friends with before. And I hadn't, you know, we hadn't talked to each other. Some of them, we weren't even Facebook friends. So there literally was no uh, contact. And, you know, they kind of heard through the grapevine or heard through other friends. And what really struck me was just how much people really wanted to to be there for me. I, I think what it tells me is, and even though I don't know other people's process, I think what it tells me is um, to some degree or another, we've all gone through loss and we've all gone through pain and we've all gone through suffering. And, and personally, I have felt like I've always been, and this may sound weird, I've always been pretty okay with the death process. I think because my personal belief is that we are going to a very beautiful place that I always feel okay with the departed and in, in where they're going. Um, I've even had one of my really good friends uh, pass away um, right in front of me. This was about 15 years ago when we were uh, at the river and um, I, I had this little CD at the time and, and, and there was this big rock that everyone jumped off of. And I, and I, basically took him on my sea and I was like, Hey, have a great jump. And I was like, I'll see you in a minute. And he jumped and he got knocked, the wind knocked out of him and he ended up drowning and they had to call the uh, police to go and die for him because he was, um, he was a very muscular guy and he, he literally like sank. And I noticed how much that hit a lot of my friends and it did hit me, but but I was still able to, I, I was the person that was actually uh, consoling people and, and, and there for, you know, my brother and my other friends. And that was very close and right in front of me. But for whatever reason, I've never had an experience such as this with my father. And so even though there was some area of loss, nothing was even close to as profound as how this hit me. And it hit me in a completely different way. I mean, I was literally just almost catatose for a couple of days. Um, but I think what that told me is that people, you know, people can relate to, to loss to some degree. And the people that really went out of their way to call me as opposed to saying, Hey, um, I, I know this is probably a lot for you and I'm, and I'm here for you. I can remember that there would be times when I, wanted to be by myself, but there's also a lot of times when having that conversation or just a little bit of that consolement would feel really good, but I didn't quite have the energy to to reach out. So the people that actually went out of their way to not leave me a message or leave me a voicemail or leave me an email, but called me and went out of their way to actually call me, I found that more often than not, I always took those calls, but I had a harder time actually reaching back out to people. Um, and I don't know if that's a common thing, but even though I wanted the interaction, 
it was hard to, you know, kind of exercise it going outward. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad you bring this up because I think this is a common thing that happens is when somebody dies, nobody really knows what to say and everybody gets uncomfortable about it. And, and the reason is there is nothing to say. You, it's something that's unfixable. Yeah. And we're in mourning and, and the challenge with it is people tend to go the opposite of what we actually need. What we need is somebody reaching out just to be there for us and yeah. say, hey, I'm checking on you, thinking of you. What's, you know, yeah. how are you doing? There's not a lot to say because you call and you're in, in it, but just them reaching out. And so I think, you know, maybe even because you, again, you just went through this, maybe even filling in that gap of maybe the people that would call that you'd talk to, you know, even, you know, as you were talking, there's not a lot to say that you don't necessarily, maybe even what was comforting when you talk to people, sometimes people don't know what to say and they say things that aren't comfortable. Did you have, have anything said that kind of was like, wasn't, wasn't uncomfortable, wasn't okay? Almost like I wish they wouldn't have said that, or was most things pretty supportive? No, what was your experience? Yeah, everything everything was incredibly supportive. There wasn't anything that I thought, "Wow, that that felt really off," or like, "Oh, I'm I'm regretful that I took that call." I I haven't had any of that. Um, right. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I think I think what I appreciate is that at that time, there, there's nothing anybody can do. Right. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing to solve. And I think inherently as humans and and as part of this human experience that I think we just kind of get that. I think that's kind of where this has been just ingrained in humanity that, you know, death is a part of process and, or part of life and that it's, it's just going to continue. And, you know, just having people just call and saying like, you know, Hey, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. He was a, he was a good man, you know, um, how are you doing? Or, you know, just, just checking in. I mean, that's, that's really all I needed. You know, I didn't need anything except for, you know, maybe just to have a little bit of human connection. Um, you know, I did, I did appreciate that people were literally just trying to, um, talk to me and not trying to solve anything. I think that's a pretty big one. And I don't know if, you know, and for me, I don't know if it's kind of a, a male thing where it made it a little bit harder for me to call back. And to be honest, I'm still reaching back out to people. And, um, I think within this last week or two, I'm finally getting back to a lot of old messages. And so there's, there's been a part of me that's felt really guilty about that. And then the, I'm, I've been having to kind of release a little bit of that guilt um, because I, I really want to show my appreciation. But then there's just times where I'm just like, ah, it's just it's just hard. And I don't know, again, if, if that's part of my process as a guy, because I know sometimes it's it's a little bit harder to ask for help or to kind of exert that um, that ask if you will, if that's a little bit easier for women, I don't know, you know, what you've, um, seen, um, you know, in your practice, but I, I, I noticed that for my mom, uh, she loves to talk and that that's so therapeutic for her and that she had no problem, you know, just picking up the phone and literally talking all day. Whereas I, I couldn't talk all day. It, 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 I really needed a little bit of that, um, inward time for, for me to, to process. Yeah, I think we all have a different, a different style that we all need. Some people are very talkative. Some people need space. Some people distract. Some people get busy and work. Everybody kind of deals with it in their own way, um, and that's why it's tricky because they're how we think somebody should deal with it may be the opposite of actually what they need. And a lot of times, I think also that's what separates families. About fifty percent of families get 
separated uh, when a death happens in the family because I, I think, again, my intuition, my feeling is because of the different ways of grieving that trigger each other. Somebody needs space, somebody needs to talk about it all the time, and somebody goes, we well, just stop talking about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore, and they just need to keep talking, you know, or, you know, so just different, I think different conflicting styles is what I think creates some of the challenges uh, that I see so many people go through. So uh, did you, and what's your experience so far in that? Do, has it helped you kind of bond a little closer with family? Uh, and, you know, because again, it's a tricky part. You're, you're still, it's so fresh still, so it may be too soon to see some of those flows, but uh, just curious how that's evolving and, and affecting the family. Are you seeing, I guess what I'm saying is, are you seeing different styles between you, your brother, your mom, um, immediate family, how everybody's dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so, and that's part of my process too, is, um, so, so let me answer that in, in two parts. One, um, how, how I'm kind of dealing with it and then how I'm, how I'm also seeing how they're processing with it. And then my reaction to that. So, so first of all, my, my process. So part of it is, um, Yes, allowing myself to like to be in the hurt and to feel and to to literally just cry when when the um, feeling overcomes me. And then there's those times when I, you know, there's those times when like I didn't want to think about it, and I'm like, I just want to work, or I just want to get some shit done, or I just want to distract myself because I found that being in the the constant process of it of always being um heavy and like always crying or always this i for me i i needed a little bit of an escape from it and that to me that felt really nurturing um i think the overall sense that i got was that however it needs to happen it's going to happen and however long it needs to take that's okay and that it doesn't have to look a certain way but the one thing that i i kept overwhelmingly got as a message is that i have to i have to allow to feel this i have to allow to feel the hurt and i have to allow to feel the sadness or the anger or whatever it is um that i knew i had to do and that's actually felt um, very uh, nourishing and and it's really kind of released a little bit of like pressure of of what it has to look like. Um, so so that's been so that's actually been been really nice. And I've I've just noticed that as I've been going through the process that I've I've been going in these these very interesting waves of uh, sadness and and longing. So there's a lot of longing, and so I've been very, I've been very acutely aware of my emotions and and what I'm feeling, and you know, not trying to judge them, but also wondering, I'm like, God, is is there going to be anger that comes up, or frustration that comes up, or is there going to be, uh, you know, any of these other emotions? But what I have found the most that keeps coming up for me is sadness, longing, like desire to just have more time with him and to share new life experiences where, you know, me and Michelle are going to be having this really big, beautiful wedding 
And, um, you know, there's possibly a child on the way. And it's like, these are all the things that like, I would just love to share like these big life moments that I would just love to share with my dad. And it makes me sad that I won't be able to have that experience with him, but I won't, but I've noticed that there hasn't been any anger and I, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not mad that he left us. I'm not mad that I've, you know, part of me feels like he left early, but I'm not mad that he left early. I'm not mad that he won't be here for, um, you know, our annual father son ski trip. Like I'm not, I'm not angry at all of that. Um, I, I do notice that as the sadness comes, I've been, it, 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 it's almost ties back to back with these like overwhelming feelings of gratitude and just how much beauty and, um, all this, all these great experiences that I was actually able to have with him. And so it's, it's been quite a, it's been quite the, um, the emotional roller coaster, if you will. It's interesting because even this morning I knew we were going to be, uh, doing a show on this today. And, and we, I, we had typed up the notes and, you know, I'd share them with Josh, uh, I think yesterday, the day before, but I had woken up, I think at like three forty-five or four, and I, I was having dreams about my dad. And the minute I woke up, like he was just front and center. And, um, you know, I've been awake since about four o'clock because of that, but he's just, he's, he's been in my field so much. And I don't exactly know what that means. Um, I, I haven't been someone that, you know, channels people or, or, or sees departed or anything like that. Um, but I feel his presence. Um, I'm just not exactly sure what that is, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about him and feeling him all the time. So, uh, so that's been a little bit about my process and what's been really interesting is I, I think part of just how I'm wired and my personality type is, uh, I'm a doer and I just get shit done. And I also know that through this process, like certain stuff has to be done, you know, certain bills have to be paid. Like the electricity bill has to be paid. The uh, death certificates have to get ordered. And I know that there's a lot of stuff that has to be done with the family. And, uh, I'm really good at, even though I'm going through my pain to get stuff done. And I, and I think I'm just wired that way. And, and to be honest, I think also because my dad is wired that way too, that I felt I I feel like if I'm not at least taking the core components that need to be done for my family, that I would be almost letting him down. Like that's almost my way of honoring him is to make sure that the bills get paid, the credit cards get consolidated, um, you know, property taxes, all that stuff still stays moving forward. And you know what I've noticed is that my process is definitely different than my mom's and it's definitely different than my brother's. And, you know, my brother flew down from Spain. He's been living in Madrid, Spain for about a month now. Oh, I'm sorry, about, uh, 10 years, but he's been here about a month and, um, he's been such an awesome rock solid, um, emotional support for the family. But what he hasn't been as strong on is just getting, um, a lot of logistics done and I've been finding myself almost harping him a little bit. Um, and then feeling really guilty about doing that because I also don't know what he's going through. And I also know that his process has been really difficult and, you know, he lost his father as well. And it's like, I can't even imagine what, 
what he's going through too. But then there's a part of me that's like, no, 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 we got to get this shit done and it has to happen and it has to happen now. And, and so, you know, there's a part of me that, that, that has had a little bit of guilt over it. It's, 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 it's weird. And I don't know if you've experienced this too, but there's a part of me that's just like, dude, no, like, like step up. We need to get this done for mom. We need to get this done for the family. And I feel like I'm doing this all myself. So there's, so in, in that sense, there's been a little bit of anger, but then I find myself getting mad at myself. I'm just like, okay, well allow him to have his process. And I'm like, I feel like I'm almost imposing my will on him. But at the same token, I'm like, dude, it's, we've got to get shit done, <laughs> you know? And I know I can be a little intense that way. Um, so I've been finding my, like checking myself quite a bit in that process because I don't know exactly how they're feeling and, and what is truly going on underneath their covers. Um, and I think a lot of times maybe they don't even know, they just feel the emotions of it. So that's been, it, it, it's been an interesting process just kind of trying to identify, you know, their, their, their grieving way as well. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's one of the, the challenging things that comes up. I know when my, my parents went through it, you know, my mom wanted to talk about it. My dad didn't want anything to do with it, you know, and it was a little bit different because my brother, there's not as much to take care of. And I came back and they took care of some, I took care of other things, even, you know, which I'd like to go in the service in a second as well. But, uh, you know, it's a challenging one. And I think that's part of the frustration. And I think sometimes just the unconditional love in each other, knowing we get upset, frustrated, moving through it. And I think you, you said it perfectly, uh, understanding that everybody's doing the best they can with the tools they have um, really brings a lot of compassion. And sometimes we get frustrated and sometimes it is hard because, I know like I felt really compelled to do my brother's service. Uh, whereas my parents were like, I couldn't have done anything. I couldn't even get close to it. You know, like, so they, we all have a different process, but that's what made me feel good in honoring him was, Hey, I got to handle all these things versus for them. They were so in it. They couldn't even, you know, they couldn't even get up on and say anything. And that was just their process. And I was honoring them and what they were going through when they were honoring me, what I was going through. So I think it's a very common thing that, that that's happens it affects us all very differently some people it's so incapacitating i think it's hard to even function you know it's almost like losing both your legs and then being like i'm trying to i'm trying to get things done but i can't even get out of the house without you know everything in my whole life has just changed and then some people deal with it by being busy and active and handling things i think other people deal with it by sitting in it and not knowing like almost like it just incapacitates them you know so i think they're slightly different forces i'd be curious uh, you know i know you did uh, you know, you did your dad's service and wrote a beautiful eulogy uh, and, and, and got up and spoke. Curious if maybe you want to talk a little bit about that process, if it was healing for you, maybe the process that you did, how you flushed it out. So, again, if somebody's listening and, and they're, maybe they're somebody they know they haven't lost somebody or somebody may be coming soon, we all die. And, you know, is that something uh, just before we go a little bit further into I'd like to know that piece. And then also the piece, and we talked even about mm -hmm. seeing, seeing your father's body and those different steps. And I think that would be an interesting uh, thing to share that may be really helpful for somebody listening that hasn't gone through it. Because this was, as you mentioned, this is the first big, really you know, powerful person that died that close to you that you had, you know, you had these decisions to make. Whereas like your friend that died that close, you weren't making the decision, same decisions and curious how that affected you. Yeah, that's a that's a really really great topic, um, and it's something that hasn't really hit me. It it has, but not in the 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 form of death and transition and 
to me, what that is, is I've been really noticing the importance of rituals. And so let's, so, so we've, we've done about, about three milestones, what I would consider rituals, um, for my dad, honoring of my dad since my dad's passing. Uh, the first one was, uh, viewing the body. So my dad wanted to be cremated and that was his, his wishes. And, and, um, that was his request to, uh, be an organ donor and then also, be cremated and it's it's so interesting how everything played out because the timing of when he crossed over um it was like right at the end of the week right before the weekend and we didn't think that we'd even have a chance to to view the body. And my dad's an organ donor. What was really interesting for those who don't know my dad, my dad's this amazing man who has this beautiful passion for travel. That was one of the things that just lit him up. That was part of his, not only fulfillment, but that was part of his uh, gift to the world. That was part of his contribution, um, doing photography and uh, taking people to new exotic lands, you know, whether it's uh, Borneo or Africa or Black Rock City. You know, my dad has been a tour guide for all these places. And, you know, my dad just this year alone, it's interesting because I think my dad also knew it's like, hey, he was 73, but he was in excellent shape. I mean, excellent shape. He, we, you know, we went skiing every year. We traveled uh, places where we did deep hiking and, and he was just in, in incredible shape. And so I also think he knew that, hey, look, he, he's in the 70s and he's not going to have this opportunity to do these grand adventures like he loves. And so he was in Norway uh, earlier this year uh, doing, you know, ice glacier hiking and, you know, all sorts of really fun stuff. And just uh, about a month before he crossed over, he was in Papua New Guinea, which is... Um, just a little bit above Australia, kind of near Indonesia. And because it's a very tropical place, he had to take uh, malaria pills. And because of that, they weren't able to harvest any organs because of the, the medication he was on just a few weeks prior. So he was actually supposed to be cremated. And, you know, the body obviously gets um, you know, kind of don't like <laughs> all the body parts get donated. And what was really interesting is we actually had a possibility to see the body and we just didn't even think of doing that. And to be honest, because I, what's really interesting is because I'm not also a Catholic, I have never actually seen a body, which is, a, <laughs> which to me didn't seem that unusual un, until I talked to you and you had seen dozens and I guess dozens of, of bodies before. And so it just didn't even occur to me. And I remember calling Josh and I said, you know, there's this possibility that I, I could see the body. If I you know, we got to LA a little bit earlier and we were able to like move some things around, I go, what do you think? And I, you know, I'll never forget it. And you, and you said, look, it's, it's going to be perfect and beautiful regardless. But if you're feeling up for it, 
I highly recommend seeing the body and uh, having one last chance to say goodbye, to see the body um, and realize that it's it's not your father. And so uh, we were lucky enough to be able to schedule a viewing and in time for my brother to actually make it down from Spain. And I'd never really had that experience before. And, and I'll only speak from my personal experience, but being able to see the body and having Michelle there as a support and, and going uh, with my mom and my brother, I got to say it was, it, it was tough and I'm, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but there was just this beautiful sense of like, God, like, I get to see him one more time and it's like there's this beautiful soul that's there and even though it's just his body, uh, there was something that was really healing about that and there was something about the ritual about seeing the body and almost putting the 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 neuroassociation of like this is not my father anymore. You know, this is just this is just a body. And I, I get to honor him through this body right now, but but that's not him. His soul is is someplace else. And I have to say, I was surprised how much better I felt. Um, you know, even that afternoon, I think we saw it early morning, and uh, just e- even that that evening and and that afternoon, that it just felt really good um you know it it was tough seeing him there you know it it well it, it was because it's you know they're the you know they have rigor mortis and and you know he still he still looked good um but uh you know he he passed away of cardiac arrest so it wasn't like he got um you know hit by a car or anything like that he still looked you know really good and so you know having that ritual i have to say for for everybody in the family and this is pretty unanimous like it was incredibly incredibly healing um you know and there's two more ritualistic pieces that i that i'd love to go into but before before i do that um i i know that you've seen quite a lot of bodies what what's the feedback that you've gotten um in viewing bodies in um you know suggesting people go see bodies because to me it was really healing yeah, you know, I've, I've seen a number of friends, um, a lot of times for specific um, types of service, um, religious service. It's part of the, how they do things. There's a viewing. I think it's Catholic. It's just part of the process around it. And so I saw a number of, of friends. I think I can think of five or six that I can think of just off the top of my head. You know, it was always interesting. I always had kind of a mixed uh, – I mean, it doesn't look like them. It's definitely – uh it definitely doesn't look like that, but sometimes you can see if it's pretty bad where the makeup is trying to cover up um, what's happened to the body. And um, so I kind of had my own experiences and those kind of, those images were kind of etched into my mind. And so with my brother, when my brother died, we, uh, the coroner called us and said, you know, he died of a heroin overdose, his arms blew, his head's blew from what happened, the arm that he was using. And you may not want to see him and kind of put that, question into us and then when we all thought about it i didn't want that to be i'm more live in the future and my mom more lives in the past and i didn't want that to be the last image my mom saw so we all decided as a family no not to see him and it kind of been mixed on it well uh when i got uh, much deeper into the grief process is like five six years ago 
um, I was interviewing all these different people and part who are Tim McCross was a good friend of mine who does home funerals and she teaches, it's kind of like a, a doula for, for death and they have doulas for birth. This is like a death doula, really gentle, loving woman. And, uh, I attended a couple of her workshops. She teaches workshops on it and, uh, it really changed my perspective than I had prior to that. And talking to her, I realized most of the time there's, it's just kind of removed so it's in our society, we don't want to look at anything messy. So somebody dies, the coroner comes, takes them away, they zip them up in a bag, and we don't see them again. It's almost like it's removed from us. Whereas if you go in other countries like India, there's bodies laying around. I mean, it's part of life that you see death on a regular basis. So it's more tangible. And one of the things she said is they do these home funerals where they'll actually bring the body to your home, and the family can spend a couple of days with the body. Um, um, and... Uh, they'll make a coffin or they'll do some things to kind of create a ritual around it. But a lot of times she says it's so healing because you get to have a little bit of closure. There's something about seeing the body and realizing it's not the same as when the person's there. It's a body. It's not the spirit, soul, energy that animates it. And uh, I experienced that firsthand after I talked to her. I went through that with my cat Shiva and decided to go all the way through with the with the process. And you know, after he transitioned, he transitioned in my lap. And then I, I, I went down and had him cremated and, and he definitely it was not my cat Shiva anymore. It was definitely his body. And it helped me actually with my grieving process quite a bit, um, in that facing it, seeing it, experiencing it, being there with it still painful. It doesn't make it any easier, but, um, I think it really helped with my grieving process cause I was allowed to face it. And a lot of times I think when somebody dies, we keep expecting them to come walking around the corner or, and I think that's natural, even if we do see the body, um, but it's just so, it's so they're such a part of our lives. Uh, it's so hard to adjust to them not being there on, in a live form. And so um, it helped. I think it helps with that of recognizing, okay, they are gone. This is his body. Uh, it's like a mental recognition. And the more that I've learned about it, even though it's uncomfortable and painful going through it, I think it's also something that's like a, for me, it's more, I wish I would have done it as a ritual, like honoring my brother's transition honoring his body and and feeling him and touching him and I, I would have spent more time as a a ritual a morning ritual and i think when i went through it i was so dis disconnected from my emotions and i was in a state of fear and i projected that fear on my family and kind of drove that piece and hindsight with what i know now i would have i think been a stronger individual and, and had a different frame of mind which was really honoring loving his body wanting to touch him wanting to cry on him um, wanting to, you know, be with him, um, and his body during that. So, so again, I, I'm sharing just different perspectives of what it was like going through services. I think from not having any education and just my experience and, and I think fear in general, uh, and, and seeing that and then going through it now, um, how I transitioned from it. So I loved hearing your process around that as well. Uh, on the death doula, uh, with the home funerals, is the doula there the entire time that they bring the body into the into the house? Uh, it's a great question. I think what they do is I think they bring it over, make sure it's set up right on ice so it's not decomposing. Uh, and then I think they, they check in. I, don't, I know they bring it in and set it up, but again, it may be a day. It may be a couple days. Uh, so I don't quite know. I think they drop it off and then they come pick it up and take it back is what I thought the process was. Um, but I could double check and follow up. I just remember the main process that I remember was 
that you're there to spend some time. It's not a quick, it's a, not a quick thing. It's actually, you got the, cause I had, she would tell me people that would sleep, you know, lay next to them and take naps next to them. Wow. And, you know, just be wow. with the body. Yeah. So it was a way for them to mourn and really face it. And the children also said it was really helpful for children. Cause mm. a lot of times what happens is as adults, we kind of like a lot of times we make up stories or don't fully, you know, uh, people make up all these stories and kids, uh, need our kids need to know what's going on and so it's really helpful for the kid in introducing them to death earlier on instead of trying to hide it from them um uh, and again i think again it comes out of fear people are trying to protect somebody's what their intent is but a lot of times what they do is it ends up preparing that child to not want to look at anything right you know, that. yeah or yeah or worse they think something's massively wrong and they don't know what it is and they think it's because of them so they take responsibility of like oh i did something and they're not being Everybody's upset because of me, because nobody says what's going on. Instead of ex- saying, oh, we're sad because this person died and they're no longer here. And, and introducing them to that concept earlier on is really helpful, but most of us aren't trained in it. So how can we help anybody else with it as well? Yeah, you know, I agree. And I think, so here's, here's one of the biggest things that I'm taking away from this. And I loved, you know, I, I think this is where, what especially Western society is we we kind of view the death process as this automatically heavy and taboo and sad and intense and you know as you mentioned earlier like there's there's always going to be pain and you know somebody told me that there's always going to be a permanent scar that I'm going to carry with you from you know from the um, the mourning and, and the and the missing of my father, but as I move forward into that and I embrace his memory, I I, I can create um, you know new memories of him, new almost empowering memories as I start to move forward into life. But there will always be you know a little bit of that that scar there. Um, there'll always be sadness, but but the suffering doesn't always have to be there and. The one thing that I'm really pulling away from seeing the body, uh, doing these home funerals, the other the other two pieces that that we did was um, obviously a memorial, and to go to the memorial was incredibly healing. To talk to people about my process, um, sharing stories about my dad and having a place to not just mourn, but to celebrate. And, uh, that was super healing and, and to see who showed up too. Cause I mean, I had people that I hadn't seen in years that wanted to come and I was like, I was almost reluctant. I was like, do you, do you really want to come? I'm, I'm like, I haven't seen you in forever and you've never even met my dad. But it was just such a testament about how people really want to be there for other humans and community and, and all of that. And I just, you know, hindsight, I just feel so humbled and loved for that um, gift. And, you know, the third thing I, I did was I was able to honor my dad at the Dia de los Muertos, um, honoring the Day of the Dead which is always right after Halloween, the very, very beginning of November. And it's all over, you know, the U.S. and Mexico and, and other Latin America places uh, celebrate this. 
But what was really nice is I was able to create an altar and really create ritual to honor my dad and really honor the departed. And I was able to do with community. You know, Josh flew up from Los Angeles and they have this really great um, uh, celebration here in San Francisco that they've been doing for about 15 years. And what was really nice is we really gathered uh, community around it. And I invited a bunch of my friends. And, you know, what started off as just an honoring of my dad, people were bringing pictures of their you know, Michelle brought her grandparents and put that on the altar. Uh, you know, my buddy who lost his father about 10 years ago, my buddy who lost his mom when he was really young, um, you know, your brother was with us. And, you know, even my friend who just lost a pet who was, you know, really a part of her heart, you know, like her best friend. And so what was really nice is to still allow myself to mourn and to, you know, be with the sadness. You know, the one thing that I, I remember time and time and time and time again that I have always gotten from you, Josh, is the amount of, you know, hurt that we're going to feel from someone is going to be directly correlated to the amount that we love them. And there was almost times when I was in the fetal position just crying so hard I could barely breathe. But there was almost this uh, sense of... Uh, not necessarily gratitude, but there was this comforting feeling that, God, because I'm grieving this much just means that I really love this man. And that felt really good. And so through these rituals, it it made me appreciate our ancestors and it made me appreciate the death process and it made me more okay with the death process and how I can really bring in death to enhance life and to you know bring his soul and his his memory and his energy with me and you know i was it was so beautiful because i remember talking to people at the memorial and they were coming up to me and i guess they liked what i said for the, the you know the eulogy that i wrote which um to be honest it was tough and i i didn't know if i was gonna be able to get through the eulogy beforehand but there was something when I got on stage it just like I I was like channeling and it just it just felt so good to to honor my dad and to be able to talk to other people about it and then when I was at Day of the Dead they had this really big picture and candles everywhere and you know my dad just looked so handsome and striking that these strangers would literally just come up and and start a conversation and you know almost blessing my dad and they didn't even know this man and i i feel that us as a society if we could embrace a little more of that and you know what i liked about the latin cultures and you know what they're doing in mexico is you know they bring in the kids into that you know there's a one of my favorite movies is this uh, movie that came out last year called captain fantastic and and one of the great themes about that movie is almost full transparency with the kids, with death and sex and, and everything else. Just like, hey, you know, kids are smart and they'll, you know, 
they can take a lot of stuff. It's it's when we start hiding and we start you know feeling weird and giving them weird energy about certain topics, they start to hold that and that manifest in, that, in, in their subconscious as they start to move into the world. And there's something nice about saying it's like, yeah, you know, death is hard and it sucks and it's painful and it's you know it it can be devastating, but it doesn't have to be debilitating and. I love the fact that we can bring in our children, we can bring in our community, we can bring in our families to not have to be so taboo with something that is so ingrained in life. You know, uh, death isn't going anywhere and tragedy isn't going anywhere. And so how do we allow ourselves to, 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 to grieve and be okay and to support each other and not have to sweep this under the rug. And I, I think because that we just haven't had a, a lot of perspective about death, um, that it, I just think as a society, we just haven't had that opportunity. And I think rituals um, really help with that. And it's probably one of the things that I'm probably the most grateful for through this whole process is the ritual for the death process, ritual for my father, ritual for our ancestors. And, and to me, I think that's been one of the most beautiful things about this whole process. And, and, and I know for uh, Michelle as well, she's shared a lot of these same sentiments that it's just been, uh, you know, in, in incredibly healing for us. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think that's part of the part of the process with it is, is I love how you've ritualized it and made, uh, I really love the day of the dead. I thought that was really a powerful experience of people or felt safe to talk about it. Um, and then celebration, you know, like all the celebration that went with it, I felt was really helpful. And it was really interesting. Some of the conversations, even that, that came up while people were there of feeling safe to talk about things, which were really interesting. Uh, and, um, uh, I guess another side note that I had a lot of experiences. I'm curious if you have had anything. I had a lot of stuff spiritually with my brother, like crazy things would happen uh, through electronics, things falling. But I was very active in asking to see signs, questions, see him, talk to him, psychics, channels. Did you go down that pathway or was that not something that resonated with you? It, it, it hasn't hit me yet. I mean, I'm I'm open for that experience, but... There was a couple times that I thought I felt him. I find when I'm I'm a little more still, like I'll do a lot of meditations by our, our altar that we have at the house, and there's a big picture of him there. A lot of times I'll light candles, and I, I could swear that all, there's like five candles, and they're all the same candle, type of candle, and the wick is, you know, kind of doing the same thing on all of them, but there's one sometimes when I'm really feeling him that's like dancing like really crazy and it's it's very sporadic and I, I feel him that way um, but uh, I don't know if it's maybe because I'm not I'm not asking for that um, to see it I mean I'm, I'm definitely open for it I'm not frightened or scared of it by any means and I'm open for that um, but I, I haven't really experienced a lot of that and I'm also wondering too is it do you, do you feel like for people that have that kind of connection or maybe in your experience that have that kind of connection do you feel it's it's you being open enough to to, to connect with it because i know that for my dad that kind of realm <laughs> and you know the afterlife and spirit and that kind of spirituality uh was not part of his paradigm at all um 
as when he was here in, in his human form. So I don't know if that's, it, it almost makes sense. It's like, oh no, of course my dad would contact me. That's so not him, but that's, that's the human him. So I don't know. I, I haven't, I just haven't had a lot of experience with it. Yeah, no, that's, and that's why I was just curious. I know for me, it became a big way. I think that was one of the ways that I dealt with losing my brother is I wanted to know, can I still talk with him? Can I still communicate with him? Is he gone or is he here? And I got obsessed with finding out some of those answers. And I think that's why it took me down that pathway. Like, is his presence still here? And I felt a little disconnected after his death um, from him. Yeah. And wanted to, wanted to go on that search to really find out and get clarity around that. And that's what was, once I did it, made it really helpful. And I got my parents in and we, we've still done on a number of sessions over the years, probably, you know, 10 or 15, probably the whole time in the last 10 years. A bunch right in the beginning, and then it lets them down, and we do them over every year, every now and then. Well, I'm, um, you know, I'm also wondering too if, you know, because, you know, my dad did go pretty peacefully, and you know, you're, you know, and he was a little bit older, and mm-hmm. I almost felt like, you know, that was, you know, that was his time, um, even though I felt it was, it was too early that maybe your brother. You know, uh, you know. However, you however you see the process, that maybe you know people say that's like, look, when it's your time, it's your time, regardless if you're two or you know two hundred. Um, that if maybe part of that process was to let you know that he is actually okay. And I always feel that you know that I know that I know my dad's okay, and I think that he knows that I know that that he's okay. Uh, you know, what is really interesting is. When he had his cardiac arrest, uh, there was someone there um, at the place he was at, and it was in the middle of the day, that um, was giving him CPR. And she um, happened to be a nurse and uh, started giving giving him CPR so that when they brought him into the ambulance, uh, he was actually still breathing. So we don't know if he, if he crossed over in the ambulance or uh, at the hospital, but... Uh, my mom actually was able to talk to the the woman who was incredibly sweet that uh, performed CPR with my dad and and I'm I'm seeing if I remember this correctly but she was she talked to my mom for a couple hours and I think what she said was that um, she uh, woke up the next day or kind of in a in a half sleep state and. Um, almost had a vision or saw my father um, at like the foot of her bed or um, at, at the end of the room and acknowledging to her that um, I'm okay, that, that I'm okay. And, and she shared this with my mom. She said it was very vivid. So she didn't even know what had happened to my dad. And so she almost took it as Oh, you know, you know, he's he's probably fine because she didn't know if if, if he survived or, or if he didn't survive, uh, because he was still kind of breathing when uh, they put him in the ambulance. So uh, it's interesting that she did get that feedback, and so you know maybe that was my dad saying like, yeah, look, even though I passed away, like I'm okay, and um, you know I'm I'm good. So yeah, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about, but that's um I, I found that pretty interesting. I actually just found that out. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm open, you know, I, I'm open to, to getting, um, more, uh, contact with my dad. I think more than anything, it's just, I think part of this process now, as I start to, to move forward and I think that one of the most beautiful things and 
what's really helped me through this process is uh, a I have I've I've had such a, an amazing relationship with my father, and if you've listened to this podcast, it's um, I've mentioned to, I've mentioned to him quite a few times, and just even appreciating how much he has come into my life to help shape me as you know a man and a husband, a leader, and everything else. He's been such a such a huge influence, and I think because these last few years i've really made it a point and even though like we have you know we we see eye to eye very differently um in spirituality and politics and, and a few other things but we recognize that and 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 we appreciate each other regardless of those different viewpoints that we have that for the last 10 years i wanted to make sure that even though you know look even though we got along good he's still your dad you know, they're still your mom. They're still your parents. There's, there's still emotions there and there's still history there. And, you know, there's still triggers there that even if there were still triggers, I really made it a point to let my dad know that I loved him and that we loved each other and to really try to forgive any old stuff that we may have had as a child or even if it's karmic stuff that I don't even remember to really release all those feelings of uh, forgiveness or, or to have those feelings of forgiveness. And I think um, because he left this plane with the whole notion that we loved each other and it was full of forgiveness, it's, it's made this process so much easier. And, and you know, if I, if I could send any kind of feedback or just suggestions based on my own experience is that when you're harboring any signs of, you know, anger or hostility toward your parent when they cross over, it um it comes up and it 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 you will definitely feel it and if there's if there's a way to to forgive people and and to honor them for you know, at least trying and and know that they were doing the best they can, given the tools that they had. Um, and, and I also know that there are some very extreme circumstances out there that, that make that incredibly difficult. Um, I just can tell you from personal experience that that, is, that has really helped my, my grieving process through this. Was there a specific thing that you did to help work on forgiveness with him? You know, I think what it was is the last few years, and, and I'd probably say the last 10 years. And again, my dad, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, I, I've had a lot of friends that have that have lost fathers um, within the last few years. Um, you know, the men just unfortunately t- tend to go a little bit sooner than the, than the women. But a lot of my friends have had, you know, parents that have gone um, or fathers that have gone, but, you know, they were sick. And they probably had a few years of prepping. I didn't have any prep time, but I also knew that he was 73. And, you know, so around 65, I was like, you know, I have to make sure that, um, you know, that I'm always telling him I love him. That, um, you know, that that I try to take in more gratitude. I know that sounds super cheesy, but it's I've been really appreciating my dad for, for who he is. And I to be honest, I think it's, it's as simple as that. It, it's... You know, nothing specific, but just saying like, look, I know that he wasn't perfect when we were growing up and I know nobody is, but, you know, 
I appreciate what he sacrificed for this family and I appreciate everything that he's given me. And I think that is just allow me to just hold him in that, that, that really beautiful space. I love that. It's super beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Part of what I'm wanting to do to, to honor my dad is to keep their, their memory with us. Um, I think that was what was so beautiful about Day of the Dead. I'm, I'm really trying to bring more ritual and bringing my dad more into that ritual. And I think that's one of the most beautiful ways I can honor him. Uh, I built him a website. He's very passionate about photography. So I built him a, a um, photography website. And you guys are more than welcome to check it out. It's shaneberryphotography.com. I just renewed it for like five more years. There's something about keeping that up and and showcasing his art that just feels really good. And I'm looking forward to, you know, putting him and keeping him on my altar and uh, honoring him for the next Day of the Dead. So I think part of my process moving forward is um, keeping his his memory alive. And I think one of the biggest influences was you and how you do a forgiveness ceremony at Burning Man. And I'll never forget this. I, I've seen probably at least four of them at Burning Man with you. And I remember the first time that I was a participant in it. I remember at the end, you actually gave pieces of your brother's ashes. And I was like, I had never experienced anything like that before. And I was just like, wow. I was like, I'm actually holding a piece of this man's brother and it's not weird. It's not, you know, totally sad, but it's ritual. And all of a sudden it's like, I could feel him, you know? And it's like, he was with us and it's like bringing the memory back. And, um, you know, that's what I love about the temple at Burning Man. And, And there's just this beautiful, recognition and honoring and so i think that's one of my processes is how do i start to keep my dad's memory alive and 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 to keep moving it forward fortunately and unfortunately one of the things that i was really wanting to do with my dad was there's this really great app and you know i'd like to share it with everyone right now it's called story corp i think it's a nonprofit. um npr always features it but it's called story corp and what it does is it's their main mission is to basically encapsulate people's persona in the Library of Congress in Washington. So your great, 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 great grandparents or uh, grandchildren should be able to go to the Library of Congress or go online and be able to hear. It's like, oh, my great, 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 great grandfather, the great Joshua Winner. God, I, I think he did all these great things and you know he was a coach and all this and, and, and a business leader and I'd like to learn more about them and it's this really great app where you can ask questions and learn about their backstory and learn a little bit about their life and I was lucky enough to, to at least have one of those sessions with my dad where he was able to tell me a little bit about his process and a little bit about his upbringing and how he moved to Canada and how he lived above the bar for you know X amount of years and, and, and some stuff I didn't even I didn't even know but what's really nice is that stays in the Library of Congress, and, and it's a really beautiful honoring of them. So if you do have loved ones, especially parents that are you know still coherent, um, it's a really great way to encapsulate 
who they are in a digital form. And, and I did want, you know, there's only so much you can do in one or two uh, sessions, but I was hoping to do more with my dad. But um, I was I was lucky enough to at least have one of those and to hear his voice. It was it was really, really nice. And so, you know, if anybody is, is feeling any kind of that hit or something to stern in you right now as I'm talking, uh, check it out. It's called Story Corp. And I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, when you, uh, you know, one of the things you said, and I think this is true, is it's like our love never dies. And, you know, it's carried on through ritual. It's carried on. So I do a lot of things that are ritual with my family about my brother that I'll always do. I write in cards from both of us. I write on my parents' birthdays. Uh, from both of us, you know, like I'll write for me and I'll write for my brother. Oh, wow. They do the same with me. Uh, you know, there's all these little ritualistic things that we do when we go different places with my family. My mom has this big quilt somebody made of the two of us that she lays out. She, we bring his ashes everywhere. Um, I, I turned one of my brother's shirts into a teddy bear that my mom sleeps with every night. She brings it everywhere. Any trip she goes on. So there's all these ritualistic things that we do that really keep his spirit alive. And it helps, I think, all of us. Uh, we look, we we love all of it. We look look for all of it as a positive, not as a negative. And I think those are just to add a couple more things that we do. Uh, really helps us. And now we've created so many more. Anytime we see something going on that's crazy, I dream about it. My parents dream about them. There's all this crazy stuff that happens with us. We all should get excited and tell each other. So it's just become more of like again, we're carrying his love on. And continuing to carry his spirit where his spirit won't die, you know, we'll, we'll carry his love on because we still love him and love never dies. And so I think that's something just important for anybody that's listening to, you know, a lot of people, some, sometimes they want it out of sight, out of mind. We're the opposite. I mean, we'll never stop talking about him. Yeah. That's one thing I've always appreciated about your family. And, you know, I also know that you may not get there in a month and you may not get there in, in two or three months, but you guys really embrace your brother and, you know, um, his passing, not the fact that you're embraced his death, but you're embracing who he is even in the afterlife, uh, if you will. And I, and I really like how you guys, you know, really, really honor him. Um, you know, every time you guys are at the burn, I mean, you guys almost always have a picture of Jeffrey up there. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's really beautiful. So, um, Oh yeah, we do, we do it every year. We've done it every year since his death. You know, I think this is year 10 or year 11. We did the same ritualistic process. So, yeah, it's been really helpful. So you do Burning Man um, and then, you know, you write little cards. A- any other thing that you do to, like, help keep his memory alive? We usually spend time, um, like he died on the 27th of December. So I'm usually with them majority of the time um, all around. And it makes it easy because Christmas is right around there. So I'll usually do Christmas and I'll usually stay to that day. And uh, we've done... We've done the first couple years, we would always go places and we'd share his ashes. So we would go hunting one year and we built a little thing, uh, like a little place for him on top of the mountain. We've been in cool like Belize or Costa Rica or places and we'll take his ashes and do cool things with his ashes. So the way we kind of do it is we we all carry his ashes and we do little things together like that and spread his ashes around different parts of the places we go. You know, like this year I'll just go to Reno and we'll probably go on our walk. Well, another thing, my mom. Uh, my parents go on like a five mile walk every day and at the top of a walk, uh, my mom has this little thing that she creates. That's like a couple pine cones and some sticks. And, and my brother's walked up there a lot and she always fixes it. And to her, it's represent- representative of my brother's energy. And oh, wow. so there's just like, there's all these little, yeah. little things, but it's part of her daily routine where she goes up there and she thinks of him 
sitting on the rocks throwing rocks and um, adjust the sticks because they get thrown a little bit off and she kind of readjust them and that's part of it. And then another big thing I, I guess I'd also say is we didn't really change his room. So um, his room has been the same. It wasn't until my documentary over a decade, my mom just went through his dirty clothes hamper. Um, you know, so we left everything the same. That was our process. And I wore a lot of his clothes. So I, I wore his clothes until I couldn't, they were not able to be worn anymore. Um, and, uh, that was really helpful. I still have clothes of his that I've kept and I just save them in a drawer that I don't wear, but it's, they're some of the last ones of his. Um, and those have all been just healthy ways. But I mean, a lot of it's just the constantly reminding each other that he's, it's not just me, but it's him yeah. and vice versa. So yeah. I think that's the big things. Any card I get, any message I get, we're constantly sending from both, both of us, which is really helpful. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. So I think right now we're, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm like, how do I keep, you know, how, how do, how do I basically include him in life as we move mm -hmm. forward? And I, and I loved all of those examples. So thank you for that. Um, so as we start to, to wind down here, the, the one thing that I did want to touch up on before we close this out is, you know, it's been about six weeks and, you know, yes, there's the emotional process and yes, there's the honoring, but then there's also the humanistic process of it and there's the logistic process of it. And for a lot of people, it's, it's an incredibly tough time to do anything. And I thought I would just share a few tidbits of what I've learned, what's been really helpful for me. So for anybody that goes through this process, what might make this process a little bit easier as far as logistics. And I thought I'd just go through a few of these right now. And, and you know, if there's anything that I'm missing or anything you want to add, please feel free to jump in. Um, one of them is uh, everybody out there that at least has a net worth of, I mean, something as small as $10,000, everybody should have a trust. If you're over 40, you should have a trust. If your parents have any assets, they should have a trust. And for those who don't know what a trust is, it's not like a will. A will is basically a document that says, you know, I want my uh, money or my state spread a certain way. Um, the problem with a will versus a trust is a will goes to what's called probate and it goes to the court systems and you have to hire, you know, uh, people to help delegate where the money's supposed to go. This is where people, family members, all all that stuff, uh, people will come out of the woodworks sometimes for unscrupulous ways to try to get some of the, the financial assets. Um, and the beautiful thing about a trust is it, it bypasses all that. You know, with a will, it, it also is public record. Meaning if someone passes away, it almost states that it goes to probate and, um, you know, it, it just, it, it leaves yourself up to a possibility of a lot more headaches than you want to deal with. And the beautiful thing about a trust is you put what's, you create a trust, um, typically, you do it through a lawyer, you know, getting a trust done is anywhere from like a thousand to fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. And what it does is you put your assets in the trust and then you basically assign a trustee to the trust. And you're like, hey, if it's this person and if this person passed away, it goes to this person or there's a percentage. And the nice thing is it doesn't have to go to the court system. You have this one basic document. I mean, God, my dad, so I have a trust. 
and my dad had his trust done, I think in like 99. I mean, it was a long time ago, but the thing is trust, you know, they have revocable trust and irrevocable trust, but the bottom line is when you have something like that, it, it it's just set in stone. Everything just goes here and it's really easy. You don't have to get involved with the court system or the legal system. It's just the, 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 the movement of the assets, you just give it to the bank or the brokerage house or whatever it happens to be. It makes your life monumentally easier, like monumentally easier. So if you have a trust for you know anybody, um, it just it, it it gives your loved ones the peace of mind that with everything that they're going to have to deal with when you pass away, that it, um, it it it's just one less thing that they really have to worry about. So that's super important. You know, I, I cannot recommend everybody needs to have a trust. You know, the the second thing is logistics to people's records. And, you know, when my father passed away, it's, you know, we had property rentals, we had, uh, you know, bank accounts and there's brokerage accounts and there's credit cards and there's bills and there's, I mean, there's just a lot to take care of. And nowadays, most stuff is online. And so having someone's password, their login information to, you know, the water company, to Wells Fargo, to Chase, to Visa, to all that is really helpful. And I have to say, I got my dad set up and I started this process about four years ago and it was like pulling teeth because he's not super technically savvy, but I got him set up with, it's called a password manager. And what it does is every time you log into a site, it just saves your your password information and you have what's called one master password. And, and this is the password that is a, a pretty good, you know, encrypted password that you have, um, one that's not easy to guess and one that you haven't used anywhere else, but that one password unlocks all of your other passwords. And so every time you go to a new site, it'll generate some random password. You never have to you know, remember another password again. And, and to be honest, it just makes your day-to-day life monumentally easier. But the great thing about a password manager is it has this great feature. You know, The two big password managers are uh, one password, and then the other one is LastPass. And it has this great fu- fu- uh, feature called emergency access. And what it does, it is you can assign, so I have Michelle and I have my dad for me um, as my emergency access. And what that means is when something happens, they can request access from you. And, and there's a time, usually 24 to 48 hours. If you don't cancel that, then they have access to all of these logins that you've saved and automatically it just gets, it basically just opens up into your password manager. And it's, I have to say that has been a lifesaver, you know, so for me to get into the Wells Fargo account, to get into his Facebook, to get into all of these, it was so easy. And so I had, I think five credit cards I had to deal with. Four of them was in, he actually had in the password manager. I took care of all of those in less than an hour. The fifth one took me three days of like emailing stuff back and forth, power of attorney forms. It was a pain in the ass. So if you can get someone's login information, it just, it helps so much. And then I guess the last thing is, so for my mom, uh, because I'm doing a lot of these things for her, um, I have what's called power of attorney and there's different levels 
of power of attorney. They have full power of attorney and, and limited access power of attorney. But that means that I can go into Wells Fargo under her behalf and, um, you know, do transactions or I can, you know, I, I can do stuff for her that she doesn't have to do. And so um, that's something you can do incredibly easy is it, to get power of attorney. You just have to get a you know, a, a form notarized. And there's a few other things that, that I've been learning, but because there is just so much to do, if you have those things taken care of, that eliminates about 75% of the headaches of what most people go through when they're dying. Like there's certain things that you just cannot avoid when you're going through the death process, but there's ways to make it monumentally easier. You know, so um, it, it could have been so much more intense than it is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just lucky that we are kind of like set up in the way that we are. I mean, it's, it's still so much. <laughs> and, um, you know, some really great advice I got from a friend is like, just, just do one task and just get one task done every day if you can. You know, don't worry about, you know, the, the 10 or 11 things that need to be done this week. Just get done one and you know just prioritize it so um you know hopefully that helps it's not something that people like to think about you know uh oh the one thing my dad did have is he said you know hey here's a here's a lawyer you can contact and then here is a accountant and and uh tax guy so maybe have a list of references of people who can support the family and and maybe on an emotional side, maybe you have someone that's a bereavement counselor. Maybe you even have something like that lined up or an MFT or any type of uh, psychologist or any type of emotional support that could really help. So anything to, to, to add to that? No, I thought that was great. I think that those are great, great tools to add. Okay. I think that's super helpful. Okay. The only other thing I would say is the, is the ritualizing the process. Again, just recapping, I think it's helpful. I'm a big fan of doing your own eulogy or leading their own um, ceremony around that process and then finding creative ways to carry on. Versus what? A loved one. Versus a lot of people just give it to somebody else and let somebody else run the service. Oh, okay. Like like the church so or like, somebody? Yeah, like a church. And there's nothing wrong with it, but a lot of times I've seen them done where it almost feels like the person didn't even really know who the person was. And again, there's a million ways to do it, so I honor all of them. Some of them maybe the religion that's just the only way it's been done but yeah it was super healing for us to do it yourself yeah to do it ourselves. and i mean even the eulogy i think you you kind of drove that with your dad's service you know yeah letting them kind of do it you you kind of really got involved yeah yeah i agree it's almost like yeah creating it a little bit more personalized i i think sometimes we you know, and I, I think that's the scary part is we, we sometimes don't want to get too involved with the death process. But I think when we actually do that, it, it, it helps with our with our process. Totally. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I To me, it, it really comes down to rituals. And I think that's a that's just been a big theme for me is, you know, just just having rituals. And I, I just I, I really want to thank my dad, you know, for, for being with us on this call and for, for helping me understand and appreciate the death process just a little bit more. You know, I always, I I already feel good about me moving forward with him through this process and making me be okay with, with where he's at, even though it's, it's sad. I mean, shit, I I woke up the other day, like crying (laughs) in my bed 
but there's just there, there there's there's some peace that I have as I move forward in life with him and so um that feels you know that feels really good and you know the more that I can you know bring him with us and ritualize all of that I think the more that that's going to continue to just just to, just to flourish so yeah so thank you for for everyone for listening if anybody has a story that they want to share or if they even have any comments about uh, my process. I know, you know, almost everybody to some degree or another has, has gone through some type of loss in, in, in grief, you know, please reach out and we'll put all the, all the links to, uh, some of the items that we've talked about, like some of the logistics and the, the home funeral and whatnot. So, uh, any, uh, any last words before we close this out, Josh? No, I'm, I'm just grateful we got to share such a sacred topic with everybody and Thanks for being open to share this. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. We will be back on our regular program next week. But until then, much love and deep respect. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take your personal, relational or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.